The year is 1971. Life is groovy, baby. Bad means good. A gallon of gas costs 40 cents. Apollo 14 brings back 90 pounds of moon rocks. And the paper planogram rules retail. It's an out-of-sight idea in merchandising. After 50 years in the workplace, it's time for the paper planogram to split the scene and retire. One door is here with the cloud-based digital planogram. It's dynamic technology for the new frontier in merchandising. Learn more at OneDoor.com. Peace out. Hello, Retail Rundown listeners. I'm Chris Ressa, your host for the week. I am super excited to be here. Joining me today are Matthew Mayer and Ben Weiss. A little bit about me. I am the Chief Operating Officer at DLC Management. We own shopping centers across the United States. We're one of the largest private retail real estate owners. Matt is a futurist, speaker, and founder of M7 Innovations, a New York City-based creative firm that works with brands and executive teams to conceptualize, create, and execute on solutions that leverage artificial intelligence, AI, AR, VR, and voice technology. Ben is the CEO of CoinFlip, the world's largest crypto ATM provider with over 2,500 units across the US. Recently, they placed number one in Crane's Fast 50 Awards for fastest growing companies with $50 million in revenue for 2020. Welcome to the show, guys. Thanks for having us. Yeah, thanks for having us on. So Matt, Ben, thank you. I'm glad you're both on today because we're going to be focusing our discussion on cryptocurrency. Not necessarily an expert in crypto. I do own a little bit, some NFTs. I've been playing, growing. But I want to open the show with a bit of news. Recently, Walmart announced that it is seeking to hire a lead to develop its digital currency strategy and product roadmap. According to their careers page, the new role seeks to provide leadership with ways to identify technology and customer trends. Also, Amazon posted a job opening last month for digital currency and blockchain product lead to develop its crypto strategy. Before we dive into retail, I, I want to take a moment and just stop there for a second. Amazon, Walmart, both hiring people around crypto and blockchain. What's your guys' takes on that? And we'll start with you, Matt. Yeah, I mean, we talk about where crypto is today. I think there's two things to really focus on. We're, we're getting a lot of adoption and there's some real utility. So, I mean, you just said it, right? With Amazon and Walmart, two of the biggest players that are trying to build divisions around it. But I think Bitcoin especially has been a great gateway drug into crypto and that people can understand the value like a fiat currency with a Bitcoin. And we're seeing not just Amazon, Walmart, you got the PayPal's of the world, you got Square with Cash App, you know, even Microsoft, certain sellers on Etsy that are starting to accept Bitcoin as payment. So that adoption is slowly starting to grow. And then there's just a ton of utility. I mean, not even some of the altcoins, we talk about Ethereum and smart contracts. As you said, yeah, buying NFTs now is perfect, but I see a world in the future where whether it's a home purchase and a mortgage or a car purchase, that a smart contract is perfect for that. So I think between adoption and utility, crypto is definitely uh, on the upward trend. Yeah. And just to chime in there, I think that in the future, and we're seeing it right now, like every company is going to be involved 
in some sense with cryptocurrency or at least the blockchain technology that underlies it. And I think it's going to be very interesting to see how companies like Amazon and Walmart approach cryptocurrency and digital currency. And I know recently in the past couple of years, a lot of the uh, big banks have either started to get into it or have discussed you know, a desire to start planning how to get into it. But I think in some ways, companies like Amazon and Walmart are better positioned to provide services and encourage adoption because of the distribution they have with Walmart, obviously the amount of locations they have, the supply chain logistics and everything like that. And I think a company like Amazon, especially, even though it's a huge company now, still has that sense of moving quick and innovation in a way that the big banks don't. So I'm really keeping an eye on how Amazon does this and what direction Amazon goes in. And I know Amazon is a trusted company. I think it's one of the top trusted companies by consumers in the US, while the banks necessarily aren't. So I think a company like Amazon getting involved has got a lot of attention and has also had retail investors taking a look at Bitcoin and other cryptocurrencies as well. I mean, this is just huge news that no one can ignore. I think that it is huge news as well. A lot to unpack there. I I got a couple of follow-up questions from that. Why would retailers like Walmart and Amazon want to be pushing the envelope to get into digital currency? In your guys' opinion, is it about them generating another revenue stream? Or is it about a more efficient currency for them to have rather than the US dollar? What do you think it's more about, in your opinion? A couple of things that I think we can unpack when it comes to a player like Amazon. And I'll stick on Amazon because Ben was talking about it. I mean, you think of them as a company in 2020, they did about $386 billion in revenue. You know, There's an Amazon credit card. I mean, it's not unheard of that a lot of companies that are big will have like these you know, the Target card, the Amazon card. I don't think it's out of the realm of possibility that Amazon wants to explore the ability of one day creating some type of Amazon token. So there's that type of world when you have so much revenue coming in and so much value you extract from Amazon with a Prime membership, they could be possibly exploring that because you know you have repeat buyers all the time going back there. They can create inherent value in their own token. And that's just one avenue they might explore. I also think, to your point, Chris, they might just want to make it for another ease of use, right? It comes to a point now where if someone wants to spend with cryptocurrency, who are you to not accept it? It's just another form of payment. And it's another way to not lose drop off on cart when someone wants to check out with, say, a Bitcoin, but they can't. So now they just they fall off. I'm sure Amazon is approaching it from just a multitude of different avenues because you know, rising tide carries all ships. And it's, it's definitely something that now is ubiquitous or becoming ubiquitous in the world. Amazon actually has an Amazon coin that they made, I think, in 2013 or 2014. And it's really more of a digital payment method or a virtual currency than a cryptocurrency. But right now, it can only be used to purchase software on their apps, like in-app purchases and things like that. But they came out with this in 2013 or 2014. So obviously, pretty early on. And I think that might be the first place that they look in regards to cryptocurrency in that area, because they do have some experience here. And I think it's a natural place that they would look first. But that's just sort of what I would do if I was them knowing that 
this is already an area the company has some experience in and that people have been using this Amazon coin now for six plus years. I'll wrap this section up with right now, and I know it's a guess, but I'm looking for a guess from both of you, at least to me in America. And this is so anecdotal, but in the circles that I'm in and the places I read, it looks like majority of crypto is being purchased at the moment as an investment vehicle versus a utility for payment. And my question is, when do you see that switching? When are we at, like we talk about future, when is the future now for cryptocurrency? I know you could say it's today, but I think where I'm going is when is it now from the amount of people that are using it as an investment, which to me seems significant, are actually using it as a utility of payment. Like like right now, for me personally, I'm adding to my Bitcoin account and my Ethereum and some NFTs regularly. But quite candidly, it's more just an alternative investment, slightly fun. I'm still paying with my credit cards and cash and debit cards for all of my purchases. You know, we do hundreds and hundreds of thousands of transactions every single month. And you are correct. Like our data even at the ATMs, which is more likely to be used for payments for goods and services or sending money back home to friends and family, like we still see a vast majority of the purchases be for investment. And I think that's for a couple of reasons. First off, Bitcoin specifically is not economical for small purchases. No one is going to be buying coffee anytime soon with Bitcoin, the way the fees work is it's better for larger purchases. It can never handle like the amount of transactions as Visa, for instance. And in the US, the dollar at least works good enough and we have enough of a payment system in place where it doesn't make sense to use Bitcoin to buy stuff. And I think in the US, it's more of a digital gold, an asset. But I think in countries where you really have bad government or hyperinflation, like in Venezuela, in Zimbabwe, and places like that, you're seeing it being used more of a payment system. But I think that it'll be a while in the US before cryptocurrency is used as a payment system. But hopefully over time, I think another thing too is the user interface and the user friendliness on the payment system has to get a little better. And sort of the user experience always lags a couple of years behind the underlying technology. So I am optimistic in the long run, but I don't think it's going to be a payment system immediately in the US, you know, in the next couple of years. Another way to look at it too is I think there needs to be a little bit, and this is like oxymoronic when talking about crypto, but there needs to be a touch more stability. And if you look at like, especially in the US government, right? Like they were trying to put in language in an infrastructure bill to try to harness. And I think it's not even accepting. They have to fully understand it first. And I think the volatility is something that Ben makes a good point on. I mean, you look at a 52-week higher low of Bitcoin from 64,000, started at 9,000 up to 64,000. I think what happens is with that type of volatility things like NFTs are intrinsically tied to whatever Ethereum is trading that day. So you think your NFT is worth something and it should be like a piece of traditional art. But if Ethereum goes gangbusters, then 
you feel like it's going to be worth so much more, even though it should stand on its own just as that piece of art. So I think as long as that volatility exists, it's really hard to make it feel like it's stable, as Ben said, as a payment system of I'll just use my Bitcoin for a, a cup of coffee. So I think once there's a little more acceptance with most governments like the US, then we'll start to stabilize a little bit more. And that'll be more top of mind of something of, okay, sure, this is a currency I have that I can use for a payment. You say a while. I know we're not on video, but you can see my facial hair because we are <laughs> we're on video. This recording's not. Is it before I'm fully gray? Is it definitely after that? Mm, you look young. So I mean, the, the real variable <laughs> there is how long it's going to take you to go gray. Um, ben probably is going to be a, a better take on this. I would say it's growing so fast. I mean, it does feel in a way of like a Mars law where we tend to overestimate the effect of a technology in the short run. And then we underestimate its effect in the long run. I mean, cryptocurrency is not going 100%. away. Yeah, it's not going away. So I, I think it's it's going to be sooner rather than later, but I, I lean on what Ben thinks. Yeah, I think that it's inevitable in the long run, but we keep overestimating when it's going to happen in the short run. But I think, especially in the US too, like if you use your crypto to purchase something, you know, you could technically owe a capital gain there. So I think there needs to be a little more clarity. I think there needs to be a little less volatility. And then there's an inherent tension between something being an asset and something being a currency. If you think something is going to go up, you wouldn't use it to buy goods and services, right? So I think that there is an inherent tension between it being an asset and a currency. And I think that like, if we're talking about everyone using a cryptocurrency to buy coffee and just normal things throughout the day, I don't think it's going to be Bitcoin anytime soon because Bitcoin doesn't have the technological capability to handle the amount of transactions like a Visa, at least on chain. So those transactions will have to be you know, second layer off chain or potentially a different cryptocurrency, even a stable coin. Like I think a stable coin would be great for normal everyday transactions and then Bitcoin would be sort of more like an asset or your savings account. Like I think that's a potential way it could play out. One of the things that I think to get retail adoption, and when I say retail, just the use of crypto as a currency is to get the user experience you mentioned before enhanced. I purchased some of the Deadheads NFTs, that collection. I've purchased some others. I've purchased Bitcoin. I'm technologically average in the world of technology. And I found it pretty complicated. I, you know, I have a Coinbase account. Oh, now people are saying you need a wallet. And then I've got to buy an NFT. I had to go to MetaMask and get a MetaMask account. And I'm so over accounts. Like I, I don't want any. And I don't think I think Americans are over accounts, right? Like how you know, I gotta have my this account, that account. When do we think this? I think that's a big part of it. Like if it was super, super easy adoption would happen quicker. So when do you think we get to like the, it's easier to use this currency? Is that in the works right now for the people who don't know? Is is that being worked on? And who are these people that work on it? What, what are they? In general, I think there's a couple of things going on. First off, tech people make tech products for other tech people. Right. That's just how tech people think. So I think from the start, most things are made for other tech people. And then over time, people come in. I would say the user interface usually, like a good user interface probably lags about three years behind yeah. the actual underlying technology. So 
like Bitcoin, let's just say 2014, 2015. I know it's been around longer than that, but that's when like, you know, a lot of people started getting involved in it, but you really didn't have good wallets till like 2017, 2018. So that's typically the trend. And I think the great thing about Bitcoin is like be your own bank, which is awesome. But for a lot of Americans, a lot of people throughout the world, like kind of what you said, they just want all their stuff in one place. You shouldn't need 117 different accounts and passwords for all your crypto or your NFTs or things like that. So the wallet providers are obviously a big part of this. Anything else that's customer facing, I think custody, people who are getting involved in custody, and there's a lot of regulations when it comes to custody, which are holding you know, some innovation back. But I think for like some people love that you're your own bank with cryptocurrency, but for other people, it's like you want someone else to custody your funds or your cryptos, or you want it all in one place. And even now you're starting to see indexes like the Bitwise 10, where it's a basket of the top 10 coins, so you don't have to hold it yourself. So I think I'd be looking at the wallet providers, and then I'd be looking at the people who provide custody, knowing that there's a lot of regulations that are holding back companies from getting involved in custody. But I think that for crypto to be used as an everyday payment system and to really have mainstream adoption, not everyone wants to have custody of their own coin. And you have to sort of get everything in like a one-stop shop or a one-stop place for everything crypto related, at least for some people. Yeah, Ben makes a great point. I'd say, you know, if a bank gets robbed, if Chase gets robbed, I mean, I have FDIC insurance, great, that I'm covered up to an X amount. If you your MetaMask wallet gets robbed, that's you can go to Reddit and you might have some people that'll help you out, but that's probably your it's it's your best bet, the the better angels of Redditors. But so that's a great point that yeah, some people don't want to be the the custodials of that. But another a big point too is I think we have our North Star of what great frictionless payment is. And I, I say that's Apple Pay and, and Google Pay. Let's use Apple Pay. I mean, the ability that whether it's your watch or it's your phone, you're a tap away and from behind a lock screen, no app needed and a payment is made and it's processed. I mean, that's a North Star. I think when you get to that point of no friction, where it's behind the lock screen, it's simple tap and it's choosing to pay with whatever coin or altcoin or crypto you want to use, I think that's where we want to get to. So what it really comes down to is let's look to the gatekeepers. It's going to be Apple and Android. I mean, they own the entire market. So I think when they start to accept these external wallets that can live within the Apple wallet, live, live within the Android wallet, and it's just another multimodal way to pay, I think that's where we need to get to. Because I mean, I deal with this with consumers all the time. It's like, they're very fickle, right? If it's going to take me five steps to get to payment when it could literally just be one step and one tap, a majority of consumers will just opt for the one tap instead of just going to those five extra steps that Apple or Android might make them take. So to Ben's point, it will take a couple of years, but I think once the gatekeepers allow more of this, it'll rise. Even before crypto and regardless of crypto, the US has actually sort of always been behind other countries in terms of ease of use on the payment mm-hmm. system. Mm-hmm. Even when it came to the credit cards and chips and all of that stuff, regardless of crypto, the US has typically lagged behind. And in some ways, like Nigeria is more advanced in a payment system and people are used to just using their phone and tapping it and everything like that, using their phone as their bank and having less friction than they are in the US because they basically skipped a couple of generations of technology. So it's sort of counterintuitive, but the US has actually historically lagged behind other countries, even countries in places like Africa that you wouldn't think of 
um, the U.S. has lagged behind in payments technology. I want to bring it back and connect the dots to retail a little bit more. All my clients are, are retailers. I have a passion for retail and do a lot of homework on retail. The biggest thing right now that you see as it relates to payments and retailers, whether it's PayPal and a million others, what they're getting involved in are these abilities to have partial payments at checkout on their e-commerce websites and some potentially bringing you know that back in the store. That seems to be the biggest buzz right now. I guess my question is, we talked about Amazon and Walmart. Whether it's an e-commerce brand only, a, an omni-channel brand, a pure brick and mortar brand, outside of Amazon, Walmart, Target, and these behemoths, what's the chatter with other retail brands as it relates to cryptocurrency being a part of their brand? Are things happening or is it way too early for them? With high-end retail, we have a, a big luxury client. A lot of a huge piece is, is authentication. So when you think of big ticket items, and this goes back to what Ben said before, you may not buy a cup of coffee you know, for a dollar or two dollars, but you know, when you buy the five thousand dollar handbag, the fifty thousand dollar watch, there's a level that you want to know that obviously that's authentic. Uh, and there's counterfeit markets obviously all across the globe. So I mean, there's no better authentication than a blockchain. So I think in the high-end retail, there's this exploration of saying, okay, how can we lean into that? How can we use something that we know can digitally authenticate something as opposed to as it exists today, you know, it's the hand-printed card with a number that sits within the bag that says, you know, this was made in Paris and from this person and it's hand-signed, which is great. And we know that that's certified and authentic, but I would argue maybe that's not as authentic as, you know, that on the blockchain, knowing it's irrefutable. So on the high end, I think there's a tons of conversations we're having with how do you authenticate? And same thing with NFTs. I know it's there's a lot of buzz right now, but not just NFTs, but what is the digital equivalent when you do purchase that high-end item? Is there something that comes with it, whether it be the piece of art or that digital experience that comes with the physical product? So on the high-end way, I think authentication and these digital experiences for high-end products is, is definitely a big conversation. And I'm sure Ben can probably chime in for the, the other side of the coin. 100% agree on both the underlying technology and the authentication, whether it's NFTs or other things. I think that you're going to see the blockchain used more and more and more because it's way more credible than a certificate of authenticity or a serial number. I mean, even if you look at the high-end art world now, like probably 10 to 15% of things are fraud. And experts have actually, if you look at the studies, have had a hard time distinguishing whether something's real or not. So I think it's a no-brainer because we have ATMs all over different retail stores. And we haven't seen much demand for using Bitcoin as a payment system in convenience stores for bag of chips. But where we have seen some demand for involving cryptocurrency is the higher end items, jewelry stores, car dealerships, real estate, high, high end fashion. So I think you hit the nail on the head that you know you might see a bifurcated market where a lot of this is used in the higher and big ticket items, but not in the everyday, more inexpensive items. You've hit that point home a lot. And I think it's an important one, Ben, that I, I'm certainly now going to consider as I'm thinking about things. At the moment, the punchline that I'm kind of getting from you is that at the moment, it's much more efficient for higher dollar, higher ticket items. And we're a little bit of ways away from it being an efficient use of currency for small ticket items. So uh, it, 
helpful. Yeah, that makes logical sense. I mean, do you care if there's fraud over a three dollar coffee? I mean, not so much. Do you care if there's fraud over a twenty thousand dollar handbag? Yeah, like that's a big deal. Right. What other things haven't we talked about that are top of mind for you all that are at this intersection of cryptocurrency and retail that you think is important to mention? Yeah, I mean, I'll, I'll start. I think you know, for retailers, like just advice for them how they start to think of how they'll kind of approach it. I think you know, a lot of retailers need to have an open mind and they just need to start to accept. Just and when I say accept, I mean philosophically and not just accept it um, as a payment. You really have to go down to the consumer experience, and that's kind of the world I live in. You know, we if we go through ecom like in the past like ten years. You know, two day shipping used to be this amazing thing, this unbelievable value prop that you're willing to pay this subscription fee to Amazon just to get something in two days. And frankly, now that's table stakes. It was two days, and then it's one day. And now it's how how many hours it's going to take. I mean, Instacart's building an entire business around that. So we're just in a world now where, where friction is eliminated. You can get anything however you want it. I think for retailers, they just need to start to think about that, that the last thing you want is cart drop-off. And if that is going to happen because you're just unwilling to accept these certain cryptocurrencies and people are going to just abandon their cart because they don't want to use you know, their fiat currency and they want to use Bitcoin, then you're going to lose there. And if you're not going to be able to authenticate, if you're a high-end retailer, you might lose there. So I think for retailers, you really just have to go to the customer experience and realize they can get what they want, when they want, exactly when they want it. And that's helped with innovation. But at the same time, I think you really just have to be accepting philosophically and then actually start to figure it out into your processes. Because I think between what Ben and I have been saying, while it could have been overestimated crypto as a whole, it is going to be underestimated in the future. And he may, Ben makes great points that we're actually kind of behind in the US. You look at all different economies across the world, it's so much easier to accept it. And that's where we'll eventually get to. So yeah, having an open mind and an open wallet, no pun intended. I mean, if you're building a business and you're in retail, you have to build it for the future, not necessarily today. So if a retailer is thinking in their head, this is only you know 2% of People want to buy in cryptocurrency. It's not worth integrating a wallet or doing whatever systems I have to put in place to make this happen. I think that you will lose in the future because wallet might only be 2% today. I don't know if it's going to be in three years or six years or nine years, but it's going to be way more than 2% then. And you want to put these systems in place. You don't want to be playing catch up as a retailer or in any business. I think sort of once you're behind, it's very hard to catch up. And then another thing that, well, just from my personal experience with our ATMs in retail locations, one of the cool parts about having a physical business in the crypto space where like Coinbase is great, Gemini is great, but you don't necessarily see it in your individual lives because it's online. When we put these ATMs in store locations and the store owners see three, four, 500 customers coming into their bodega to use the cryptocurrency ATM, they naturally start getting an affinity for cryptocurrency and they consider taking payment in cryptocurrency and things like that. So I think that it's important to continue getting the customer facing things out there and some of the more physical things out there to get that adoption. And I think that retailers, again, to your point, customers can get what they want when they want. And you have to start with that as your fundamental assumption. So adding something like cryptocurrency that might seem like it won't help you that much today 
is going to be a huge difference in the future and you're going to already have everything in place. So I would you know, say the same thing and encourage every retailer to have an open mind. There's a million tangents I could get on from there. Ben, I am going to take one. A part of what you said there concerns me a little bit because when you start mentioning building for six, nine, and further in the future, the reality is the amount of retailers that have the infrastructure and balance sheet to do that versus the amount of retailers and e-commerce brands that don't is extremely disproportionate. It's why today, the amount of digitally native brands only that actually are profiting is very small. Whereas many brick and mortar brands are profiting. It's always this challenge, like you have to build for the future, but there's this balance where people do have to profit for today. There's only so much dollars that can go toward building for the future, unless your target Amazon and Walmart and some of these ginormous brands that have the balance sheets to do that. Even some of the the venture-backed e-commerce brands, they started to open up stores as an omni-channel, and it's a profitable venture. But also, at some point, you can only tap the piggy bank so many times and go back to the VCs. Like At some point, they're, they're looking for yield. And as technology advances, and there's just another thing that has to get invested in, it makes it a challenge for the scale of retail and e-commerce brands, right? The small, and we'll take either one, the small brand that's doing a couple hundred thousand revenue on Shopify or the brand that's, as you mentioned, the little bodega, it's a challenge to make the innovations that are needed, or as you say, are needed for the future six, nine years. Like, so, you know, a lot of these, whether it's the Shopify e-commerce brand or the local bodegas, as you characterized, they're looking to make sure they can make it for the weekend. Yeah. Well, it's never easy to be the small guy in any business, but I think the way you compete with the bigger guys who have the balance sheet, and hopefully there's more and more of this around, but just if you can find turnkey solutions where you don't necessarily have to innovate yourself, you just have to buy the product or integrate the product. Like I think, you know, Amazon is going to invest a lot of money and build it out sort of in their own unique way where if you're a smaller competitor, I think you don't try and build it out yourself. You look for existing solutions that are already out there. And unfortunately, like we talked about, a lot of these solutions aren't quite there yet. The ease of use isn't there yet. The user interface isn't there yet. But if these smaller businesses can find turnkey solutions and not have to reinvent the wheel and not have to do heavy lifting, I think that's how you can compete with some of the bigger players. But there is always in every business the tension of survive today and invest in the future. Sure. And Chris, I'd say too, like just to double up on Ben, there are some tools that can make some small businesses dangerous, right? You can get Square at point of sale. You can have Plaid that can help with some digital payments. You have Shopify who's going to put easy one click and check out and use their fulfillment center. So there's all these like tech tools that essentially can get you very close to parity with an Amazon or a Walmart. Um, And it's really just being smart and strategic about how you set up that tech stack and how you leverage them. Because I think those are kind of the arming the rebels type companies that help the small businesses fight the big ones. Yeah, 100%. You don't need to reinvent the wheel. You know, there's a bunch of ready-made solutions out Mm -hmm. there, essentially. And hopefully there'll be more and more as this field continues to advance. All right. Well, 
I want to thank Matt and Ben for joining us today. I want to thank Retail Rundown for allowing me to host today and thank all the listeners out there for joining us. Matt, where can the listeners find you after they hear you today? Yeah, so I'm at you know, m7innovations.co, but I mean, who wants to go to a website? And I also don't have thousands of ATMs around the US, which is cool, which Ben has. But every Thursday at 8 a.m., I put out a, a weekly video series called the M7 Innovation Brief, the latest on tech, media, and innovation. And that's on LinkedIn, Twitter, YouTube. You subscribe on the website. Uh, that's the best best place to find me. And that's where the latest you'll get in crypto and, and all the good stuff. Ben, where can the listeners find you? So my personal handle on Instagram and Twitter is Ben Coinflip. Coinflip's handle is CoinflipATM. And if you are a retailer, a brick and mortar location, and you want extra passive income, and you want hundreds of extra people and foot traffic in your location, we do place ATMs as long as the location is open long enough hours in a safe and secure location. So that's been a way that some of these mom and pops and smaller locations have been able to get some extra income, get some extra customers. And we're always open to working with brick and mortar retailers on that as well. So that could be an interesting opportunity for anyone listening. And if anyone's out there, my handle is Ressa on Real Estate. I have a podcast called Retail Retold. Check me out in any of those places. Thanks so much, everyone. Thank you. You've been listening to the Rethink Retail podcast. If you would like to be considered as a guest on our show, apply at rethink.industries slash podcast guest. For sponsorship opportunities, send us an email at media at rethink.industries. You can help support our team at Rethink Retail by dropping us a rating and review on your iTunes podcast app. To each and every one of you, thanks so much for tuning in. Retail never sleeps. See you next week.